How are you? I'm good. It's been a long time, bud. I feel like it's probably been like nine years. Is that really? right? Yeah. Well, since the show? No. Wait. The show? Since, we did... since Atlanta. I, I didn't come with you to Chicago. What? Oh, my God. So then, yes, yeah. it's been a long... But wait, I saw you at a live show, right? Yeah, I saw you at a live show. You returned to Atlanta for... Oh, I'd yeah. love to talk about the live show because I, I found that fascinating. But That is uh, a long yeah. time ago. Yeah, My God. I just have you permanently burned as being there every time. I don't really, I forgot that you weren't there. Yeah, yeah. I didn't. I thought you were I, just I didn't make using it. the restroom or something <laughs> through, through the three years that we were in Chicago. I was like, where the hell is Denver? If we're diving all the way back, because obviously I came into the Carbonaro effect, if you will, season 1.5, I think. Okay. It was like the All back right. order. Season one back order was the first time I was there. How did that even come about? Because you, you weren't you an actor? Is that right? I was always a magician. I okay. wanted to be, first thing I wanted to be was a makeup artist, special effects makeup. I was oh. certain that's what I was doing. So at like 13 years old, I used to go to a magic shop in town in Long Island where I'm from. And I would go to that magic shop. I was actually like looking for makeup supplies and uh, started like going to the other side of the store, seeing them do the tricks, buying some of the tricks, practicing them. And then I liked performing tricks for my friends and I found my love of performing through magic. Went to NYU with with the sole idea of becoming like the next David Copperfield. But then when I went to NYU, it sort of moved again and it was like, wait, I really like comedy acting. I think I want to be an actor or maybe a stand-up comic or maybe an actor, a stand-up comic, maybe a little magician. I was sort of all over the map. I was in New York for a while doing a lot of acting stuff. And then I moved to LA with the, sh- with the sole idea of, of kind of putting magic on the back burner and focusing more on acting. And then I took off doing these little segments on The Tonight Show, which is really what began the ride of the Carbonaro effect. It was like doing hidden camera magic segments on The Tonight Show with Jay Leno. You were already doing hidden camera magic tricks before before there was like a production team, I guess, involved. Well, I mean, in college, I wanted to combine special effects with Candid Camera. I loved the series Candid Camera when I was a kid. I saw all the rerun episodes, and I'm like, I can use magic to make people believe in real things. And then the show Scare Tactics came out, and I was, like, devastated. I was like, that was my show idea. Oh, no, this is exactly what I wanted to do. But it wasn't exactly magic, but it was, like, special effects that they were doing. And I was like, oh, there's maybe a more magic version of that same kind of Mm -hmm. thing. But for The Tonight Show, it was, like, really just comedy. It was me behind a counter at a convenience store. We did eight segments. I did eight segments. And then one of them we diverted to, like, a mall and tried to do, like, a psychic lab situation. Um, But they were really purely comedy, and I loved getting to play actor, improv artist, magician, uh, trickster, all at the same time. And and how long from that moment until you get like connected with like Simon that that it becomes a show? I was getting asked back again and again to do Tonight Show, and I was like, okay, I've done enough of this. I know, like, I've had this idea for a TV show since I was in college. I want to, like, do a TV show now. I don't want to just do little segments on Tonight Show. I want to do a TV show. And um, we first explored that through NBC and doing it, like, with Jay's Blessing um, as kind of an NBC show. But they really gave me a, a 
bomb deal of a contract. It was just like no control. I had, I was only like by the letter of the contract only guaranteed to be in 50% of the episodes, but maybe you'll be in more, but we want to explore other magicians and maybe see where it goes. And like, it just was really a, so I, I turned it down and, uh, they came back again after a little while and were like, you want to reconsider this? And they sent us the contract and it was the exact same contract. <laughs> so I was like, no. And I, I left that and w really with nothing else on the back burner. So it was sort of like, uh, you know, I, that was big because I know I had a lot mm -hmm. of people, I had a lawyer too, who they were all like, do the show. They're like, this is not, people don't get offered a television show like on NBC, even if you only have, you know, a little bit of way in, you could work your way up and like, don't say no to that. And I was like, this is mm -hmm. not what I, I wanted. Like I wanted to be the Ashton Kutcher of the magic hidden camera TV series. I'm like, this is not right. going to put me in that position. Uh, so, so I was kind of flailing around a little bit and then Simon Fields saw, saw, I think Nathan, his son, Nathan saw some clips of what I was doing online and they were like, you ever think about doing that as a show? I'm like, hell yeah, I have been. Yeah. And we met, we talked and, and then, um, he found a way in through true TV, which had just true was just sort of changing over from whatever they were. Cause I think they were court TV first and then they were trying to find their footing, what they were doing, these weird reality shows. And then they had the impractical jokers and they were like, Oh, maybe we're a comedy network and they wanted to rebrand okay. as comedy. So we look, they were looking for a companion show. So it was really the perfect opportunity to, to, to get in there. I mean, we moved fast. It was like, they saw the tonight show stuff. We went in to shoot the pilot. We just wrapped doing the pilot. We didn't even air it yet. And they, we had already moved ahead with the first half of the, the front order of season one, which for those of you not in the industry, I learned what the heck this meant. Cause I remember <laughs> this contract was ridiculous too. It was like, oh my God, we do 13 episodes. Like I was like 13, like I'm never going to be able to come up with enough stuff for 13 episodes. Holy at once. Oh my God. It was like, gee, every time I did a tonight show segment, which was like six minutes, I mean, we were ripping our faces off. I had a bunch of magician buddies here in, in LA and great minds and incredible thinkers and writers and helping me just with those segments. And it was like, oh my God, but to do a 13 episodes of it, I was like, holy crap. So then finally, when we did finish those 13, it was like, oh, okay, now what happens? Do we take a year off? When do we start season two? And it was sort of like, well, you know, you're not exactly done with season one. I'm like, what? It was like, that's the front order. And then there'll be the back order. So I'm like, another 13? It was, <laughs> it's not kind. <laughs> You know, for a reality show where it's like, I don't know, people following you around with a camera and like when, when reality TV became like a thing that was easier to make and it's not scripted, it was like, mm -hmm. oh, we could bang out these episodes faster. This is not what we were doing, you know, and this is still a long debate when I'm even like trying to look into new TV shows and stuff. It's just like, what is this alternative television? It's like, we're writing it. Like, I know it's mm -hmm. not scenes and lines, but it kind of is. And it's also, it's like... We don't have writers. What, what do we have? Like the whole thing's really a silly it's, sham. It's almost more stuff. like uh, the, the the Larry David show. Um, what is it called? Oh, oh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Yes, it's it's almost like that, where you have like a light script that you're going into. You know what the the, yeah. the process is going to be. But that show, I'm sure, is a 
scripted contract and not an alternative for sure yeah so that's what i'm saying exactly right yeah like what's up yeah but i couldn't believe that 26 episodes was gonna make a season one before we would talk about like you know bumps and benefits and stuff because it was like all yeah that was so it was the it was the lack of renegotiation between those 13 yeah and then i come to find out later it's like well nobody really renegotiates until you go into season three so it's like oh so we're talking about another front order and back order (laughs) of 13 before we'll talk again like okay that's how that goes very grateful for it it's been incredible but it was it it didn't stop and that Mm -hmm. was that was a problem because it was really successful and in order to make what needed to be made I had to be involved in every aspect. I had to be there in the writing room, coming up with all the bits, like what ones are going to jive with me, what things that I want to do. I had to go location scout, make sure the trick's going to work in this place. Then I had Mm -hmm. to shoot, obviously, and I'm the only one. There's no like people to banter with or anything. It's just just me. And then the people coming in, coming in, coming in. And then we finish the season. And then I've got to sit in the editing bay. I mean, I sat next to them for every frame of that show. And so then as soon as that was over, you know, the network mentality is kind of like, oh, well, they haven't shot in months. It's like, well, I've been working every day, too. Like, dude, I got Mm -hmm. no break. So that was that was troublesome. It was definitely it was a quick ride to burnout and it was very difficult to endure. I did not have a lot of fun. I hate having to say that. I mean, Mm -hmm. I was loved getting to to high five the things we would accomplish on the day i couldn't believe what we were able to pull off i mean you were there you saw mm-hmm. i was not always in the best of spirits it was a rough <laughs> i was being beat up you know it was really hard yeah. and like certainly sitting down once the show was over and getting to watch it and see the success of it there was total joy and excitement and you know, and then getting to perform live, doing live shows when fans would come and see me live. That was really the like cherry on top. The whole experience was worth it for that. And I, I wouldn't not have done it, but it was, mm-hmm. it was, um, it was, uh, uh, it beat the hell out of me for sure. For sure. I mean, I was like yeah. immediately like we have to, something has to change. The system has to change. We can't make these this fast and then keep going. It was like a victim of its own success. So mm-hmm. I saw how overwhelmed you were becoming. It was a, hey, let's keep pushing kind of thing like every day. And even from like, from my perspective, being on like the tech side of it, like most shows aren't done like that. (laughs) Like where they're, hey, let's move locations every day and (laughs) set up a new, a new thing every day. And then, you know, in my capacity as a magician, you know, I was doing four or five brand new multi-beat tricks that I had never done before. And then it, mm-hmm. it just catches up. There just isn't time to prep. You can prep a bit. And then once you're on the ground, you have some of that stuff prep. But then it starts, we're getting the props the morning of, and I haven't touched them before. And uh-oh, this isn't uh-huh. going to work. How am I going to make this look like this is floating when the thing's wrong? And ah, and like the team surrounding me behind the camera. Um mm-hmm. I couldn't have done it without him. I mean, it was a miracle work. Uh, the kind of things that we were, the groove that we had mm-hmm. to to be able to pull off this stuff was, I still look back and I can't believe what we got people to believe. Mm-hmm. 
it's like beautiful yeah. and terrifying. And then, you know, I, the one thing I hate is like a lot of people will be like, sometimes people will be like, those people are so stupid, right? That you pull. And I'm like, no, I'm like, that's so not fair to the work we're doing here. Like always write it with the idea in mind of like, what do I need to see to be fooled by that? What would right. I need to enter this church and see a rag suddenly turn to stone and then find a stone rat and be like, wait, if that rag was just not stone and now it's stone after it came near that golden chalice, what's going on? And then when the guy turns to stone, you're like, what? You know, like maybe I'll take that, those steps um, mentally. So mm-hmm. it was a lot of like really, some of them though, not so much. I mean, I can't, re- you'll remember more than me, which ones were where I don't even remember. Did we shrink the boat? in Atlanta or is that Chicago? That's definitely Chicago. You probably did that on the river there. Yeah. Yeah. I know we did a river thing too, but I thought this was, this might, I mean, yeah, who knows where. Maybe it was. Uh, I know we went to Lake Lanier, which is like uh, up north. Did, did, was there a we lobster the, that caught There was lobsters. License? Yeah, there was lobsters. You were like fishing something with a net. I just remember the conversation on that day in the truck being like, Lobsters don't come out of lakes. <laughs> like, yes, that's the that's the one. And yeah, we did shrink the boat there then. Okay. That's right. I know that was cool because uh, first of all, <laughs> I didn't even really consider that. Lobsters don't come out of lakes. I was like, and no one on the day questioned it either. When no we caught one lobsters, questioned. they were like, oh wow. You know. <laughs> but that could have just been the trick in itself. But but there was the ad. Right. That one didn't work, actually, I recall. I think we showed it on like a special okay. episode where we were really trying to push someone someone got their ID that they were supposed to put they were going to work on the dock for the day and their their driver's license had to go like in their lanyard or something and then it fell in the water and we we're like uh-oh but we had just planted a under the other side of the dock we had planted a trap a lobster trap and then when we pulled up the lobster trap we had caught a lobster and the lobster had caught their id mm-hmm. pretty cool yeah everyone was like man it just sort of didn't fly i don't know remember why but what did fly is the guy thought that we used the wrong kind of wax spraying down the boat and the boat shrunk to this tiny little boat. That was one that I never thought. I was like, okay, we've gone off literally the deep end here. Like someone is, mm-hmm. no one's going to believe that this is happening today. Do you, like, do you feel like, like people in their everyday lives are looking for magic? Like they, they want to find something that is out of this world that they can believe in. Yeah, we all do. I mean, miracle pills like hair replacement <laughs> diet pill all that we do want that magic thing we yeah. we seek out psychics we want to believe wait someone heard someone else who knows someone who's actually able to predict the future really like i want to know about that i think we we would love to believe that that stuff's real so we, we do have an opening in our minds for it and then i also think that there's a great amount of vamping that i'm doing right now because i lost my train of thought <laughs> you're okay. you're okay. Going back, going back to that pilot though, uh, cuz I talked to Russ. He he had mentioned that walking away from that pilot, you felt unsure about what was shot and whether or not you actually had something good. Yeah. Oh yeah. For sure. I definitely yeah, I I I was not I I had never thought that we, I didn't know what it meant to have to fill a, an entire episode of a TV show, having mm-hmm. only done these little six minute bits on The Tonight Show. And we would shoot, I guess, I mean, yeah, we shot a whole bunch of stuff. I really didn't know if it was going to be enough to be a great t- TV pilot. I right. just, I didn't know. And 
a lot of that comes from when I'm there, aside from being like so stressed and focused on stuff, one of the things that I do is I don't really look at the person when they're having their ultimate reaction because I try to let them have kind of a Mm -hmm. private moment to themselves to like without having to like you know, give me face or react to me, rather let them react to the thing and have a little private moment before they like tap me on the shoulder. Did you just see that? So I don't quite ever see the first, you know, what sometimes is the golden moment of, of aha or wow, when they're even, even if it's just their eyes like going for a second, mm-hmm. I might miss that. So I don't even know we have anything. The next thing I know, I'm like, yeah, and that's how they go in there. And they're like, oh, okay. And by now they're trying to play it cool in front of me, but I've missed the fact that they were totally fooled by it. So I have, I don't have a great meter all the time of exactly how well it's playing on somebody. Is there like a, a moment that you knew it was something good? Like you, like, like this is an A plus trick on the pilot on any of the episodes really. Is there oh, like yeah. a moment that yeah, stands no, out were- to you? There were definitely times where I was like, this is great. I could feel it. They're, mm-hmm. they're trying to convince me that it's happening. They're telling me exactly what they saw. When they're recounting what they saw a lot, I know that that's like, no, 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 dude. There was nothing there. And now there, there was a guy there. And now he's not there anymore. Like, I'm, I know we're in. But some of them I've been remarkably off the mark. Like <laughs> probably the most famous bit from the Carbonaro effect, the crab cats. This everyone talks about this. Everyone talks about that one. It was a pretty yeah. wild ride. First of all, we didn't even pin that one to be an act four. Like we didn't think that that was going to be an end of the show mm-hmm. big trick. It was just sort of like it kind of developed along the way. It was sort of like, oh, it'd be really cool if like I, I started seeing these like weird animals on online, like on Facebook and mm-hmm. stuff. People would be like, oh, you ever? And I was like, yo, I saw this one thing, and I'm like, geez, if I didn't know what that was, I would think that was an alien. And I was like. <laughs> hmm, let's put it in a context where someone meets this for the first time where they might believe it's an alien. So that was the first thing was like, can somebody get, and it wasn't even the the crabs that we see on the TV show. Now it Mm -hmm. was these different sort of slimy starfish crab things. And uh, we couldn't get them. Or, or he got them, the guy who was wrangling the animals for us, Brian Staples. Oh, yes. Love him. Crazy. I haven't thought about him for a while. You just resurrected memories. He would... He'd bring it and more. And that's what he did. He brought these other things. He also brought these. They're called decorator crabs. And I was like, oh my gosh, those things are crazy looking. I'm like, let's use those. And so it was sort of like, okay, we're going to be in a lab. We have these other bits to do, but let's do one where a little meteor cracks open and this thing crawls out. You're like, ooh, let's see if they'll believe it's an alien, right? Mm -hmm. Then it was like, oh, but to make it more magical, how about it starts small, drops in a mop bucket, and then it swells up, and then it cracks open, and then it comes out. Cool. So now we're like, the network's already said yes to it. We're like prepping, prepping. It's a couple of weeks away from shoot. And it was like, you know what? How about after it comes out, it splits into two? That would be really, really cool. And then it was like, what if it were to mutate into like another animal after that? I was like, could, could somebody believe it was cats? That would be so cool. And it was like, wait, what if it goes that the crabs are on top of this book that has a cat on it and therefore they assimilated? So the story just built all the way up until the day we were shooting. And then by the time we were doing it, it was this epic story. And, Mm -hmm. but to the point, I I in the room that day was, there were so many steps to pull off all those different things from it swelling to it cracking, to it coming out, to it splitting into two, to them turning into cats. I had a lot to deal with. And I was so laser focused on it all. I know she was screaming and I know she was like, active and loud and 
But I didn't know if it was like good television because I just, I was like, oh, if, if she's just screaming, then maybe this is not going to be focused enough. So it wasn't until I went and we put it together later and I was like, oh my gosh, she's gone through the whole, the, the she was, you know, crying, tap dancing, laughing, screaming. She did every emotion possible. It was great. <laughs> it was a ton of fun. Um, yeah, we had, we had, we had not only within our own team you know we'd get together it's like oh we're coming up we're doing a we're doing season three okay everybody welcome back we're like sit in a room we're like start talking and then david regal will be like you know what we should do how about we you know have have an orange that too much juice comes out of the orange Mm -hmm. i'm like we did that he's like we did that (laughs) it's like wait did we write that already we shot that i'm like yeah we shot that did we air that yeah, we shot, we wrote it, we shot it, and we aired it. It's like, whoa, whoops, forgot. It's pretty- yeah. It's, it, I mean, at a certain point, you probably get to where that that's more the conversation than not. Of like, are are we like at the end of the rope here of ideas? Yeah, for sure. We went so beyond where I thought we could go. And we revisited themes, which I think are cool, though. I mean, theme revisiting is really neat. There was like the theme mm-hmm. of a lot of a lot coming from a little space that okay we, we did that theme a lot in different versions there was the packet which was like an instant suit and it was only a small little packet when you tore it open the sleeve popped out and then the sleeve turned into an arm and then the pants weren't so it was a suit in the ski shop it was this little backpack that like opened to a bigger backpack and then there were flares in it and there was like you know all this stuff came out of this little area there was a lot of which is sort of i guess like the the classic top hat the magician has a top mm-hmm. hat and tons of stuff comes right. out of it it's like really kind of a riff on that did, there were other you... themes too like you know some of them were almost like these weird morality tales like everything sort of had this like oh cool there's a piece of science isn't that neat wow and then uh-oh it goes too far mm-hmm. you know like something as simple as we did this one bit where there was this post-it note that you could just there was a calendar on the wall and you would write a post-it note and you would say to the post-it note, okay, go to March 15th. And you'd let it go and it would flutter in the air over to March 15th. And then I like said the wrong cue to the post-its. I dropped something and I was like, oh, that's on me. And then I came up and all the post-it notes were all over me. And I'm like, oh, it's because I said on me. So then, so it was always had like something that works and then something that mm-hmm. goes haywire. Being a magician and then also having a television show, being on TV, did you ever get critiqued by your magician peers? Oh, man. I was so scared for the show to come out. I was so... And same with the Tonight Show segments. I really Mm. wanted them to be good. And I didn't... I I wanted magicians to like them. I just thought that they were going to, you know talk trash about it or like I wasn't going to be doing it well enough or it was hacky or not didn't mm-hmm. end up looking good or so I was really scared I, I I was really 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 excited by how wonderfully gracious magicians have been even still to about the series like they loved it mm-hmm. and they were really really kind like like with your skill set as it was the show was progressing and, and even now do you like like, are you a master magician? <laughs> and then like, like, do you, do you feel like you still get better today? Or is this something that like you hit a peak and like, is this like, like on the scale of magicians, how, how refined are you with your craft? And then do you still aspire to do something bigger? Yeah, I, 
I um it feels so unique that it doesn't quite feel like I was very excited for the like you know popularity in the magic world and you know when I was turning the heads of like fan you know of heroes of mine like David mm-hmm. Copperfield and Penn and Teller when they were taking note of my work David Blaine they're like oh I saw your show it's a really good show I'm like what you know like I was like I couldn't believe it it just it I guess it felt different than what I had you know I thought a magic show was like David Copperfield's television specials like that was a magic mm-hmm. show so this was like another thing I was doing that I loved but I never really like kind of thought of it as a magic show and it is a magic show but it's also like you know a social experiment show a comedy right. show I wrestle with that all the time it's like was that the big I guess that maybe that's probably the biggest magic thing I'll ever do maybe there's more like I've got you know bringing the series to an end was a big deal that was a rough mm-hmm. decision like a lot of you know they wanted us to keep going and I had um I actually called it a, a season earlier I was like ready to not do a fifth season and I was like I just think you know I'm already like I was very burnt out. We had done so much and the velocity was really getting to me that I just thought like, I don't want to do a bad job and I need a break and I don't Mm -hmm. think I'm going to get that break. And I think I need to like end this right now. And I was starting to feel like maybe we've started to repeat ourselves too much in places. I'm like, I just want to end on a high note. It's just, it's just one of those things I, maybe you just can't explain. You just sort of have to start hearing. Like when you start hearing that inside, you're just like, it's time to like bring this to an end. So the network was really like, look, what if we do a fifth season that has new episodes and some of these double take episodes where we'll bring back other marks that you shot the bits on? Or I think we started doing those too. And those were like actually more popular. And boy, you know, it's amazing the bank of material we have, Mm -hmm. you know, because the TV show, the structure of it was that you just kind of saw the trick you did. You saw the trick one time played out on one person. But we would end a day and there'd be like, you know, Russ's little grading book. It'd be like, well, there was an A, there was an A plus, and there was an A minus. It was like, well, those are all really good for different reasons. And some of those double take specials are the superior mark where we like kind of maybe made the wrong call about which one should be on the legacy show. And then I watch back and I watch the double take episode for the other mark that I didn't think maybe was better. But then I'm like, that one is totally better. Why didn't we pick that one? So those... Those shows were really good. But um, yeah, that was another thing about the velocity of the show is like, you know, even like David Blaine's TV special, like you watch David Blaine do a trick and then you watch him do it for like five different people and you get those five different like reactions from mm-hmm. someone on the same effect. Well, this show was just sort of like next trick, next trick, next trick, next trick. So that burnt it out really quick too. But I, um, I was like, okay, let's do, we'll do... We'll do season five. We'll do we'll do more episodes, new episodes, and we'll do some of those double takes. And I I was really glad I got pushed over the line to that last one because then I could really celebrate that this was going to be it. And we did some things in that season five that a lot of them we'd been trying to pull off for seasons and seasons back. We did the the movie mm-hmm. theater bit where it was my husband who got like sucked into the movie screen at a, at a movie theater. We were really trying mm-hmm. to pull that one off from the beginning. There's another trick called wormhole where there was a hole in the ceiling at a, at a, uh, a residency that was like um, being renovated or there was this crazy guy living there. There was a hole in the ceiling and a hole in the floor and anything you dropped in the hole in the floor would fall through the ceiling. 
And then I climbed up through the hole and climbed up through the hole, uh, through the floor. And we like took the guy's phone and recorded on a stick, like lowering it down. And then it came through the hole in the ceiling and then came back up through. And then we played the video of that actually happening. Like the, the amazing. I never thought we'd pull those yeah. things off. I was really happy we did those. But the final episode of the Carbonaro Effect, the final new episode was me turning into a kid. I have seen that? this. Oh, yeah. This. this is like the perfect ending to that series. There was uh, Nathan Fields pitched this idea of a, a machine called, you know, what, what if it was a machine that turned uh, dogs into puppies? I was like, okay. So we figured out this like pet spa rejuvenation place and it's supposed to like bring their joints back to like, you know, their, the way they were when they were youthful. And we put this dog in this machine with this new hire who were fooling that day and the dog turns into a puppy and it was like, oh my gosh, what's going on? I think the calibration was set too high. What's going on? You hold on to that. And then the machine went haywire and there's this big flash. And then I step out from behind the machine and I have turned to like a 14 year old version of myself. And the woman believed it. It was like so, so good. And we had that kid reveal, he did the classic, you know what they call that when a machine goes haywire? It's called the Carbonaro effect, which is also the name of a hidden camera magic TV show, like the one you're on right now. And the credits rolled with the kid and I never came back out. That's amazing. I have not seen this. Yeah. So it was like little Peter Pan flying out the window. I love that. And that was a big fight too, because that's the way I pitched the trick and the network said yes. But then when we were there on the day shooting it, they were like calling to me in my ear. They're like, go back out, Michael. I'm like, no, I'm not going back out, right? From my magical lair, mm-hmm. for those of you who don't want the, you know, secret revealed to you in my magical realm that I had vanished to. And <laughs> I'm like, I'm not going back out. And they like stop down. They're like, look, you have to go back out. I'm like, no, that's the point of the way this ends. And they had to like, the network was pissed. They called the network. Simon was upset. We were, there was a whole thing going on about what, so mm-hmm. finally they had to track it down to like an email that showed that that's the way it was described and that the network had said yes to that. Even if they made a mistake, they said yes to that. So therefore it was okay to do it mm-hmm. that way. And by okay to do it that way, I wasn't going to come back out no matter what on that day. So <laughs> it doesn't really matter, but <laughs> that's what it like came out. <laughs> that's what it ended up being like, okay, okay. The network says we can. You don't have to come back out. I'm like, okay, yeah, I'm not coming back out. That's great. When, when did you when did you become an executive producer on the show? Right away. Right away. Oh, so oh, yeah. from day one, you're an you're yeah. an executive producer. Yes. What what was that like for you from from being like a guy that was just on the Tonight Show to being the executive producer of your own show? It felt like it was the only way to do it. It was amazing, but it's kind of like why I turned down the NBC version was just sort of like, this is going to be what I want and what, like what I need this to, the dream I have for this show can only be accomplished is if I've got, you know, arm in arm control with everybody, like network, Simon, like we've all got to kind of have a good old fashioned tussle of a say together, you know, Mm -hmm. for this to work. Luckily, I had the Tonight Show material under my belt that was, you could just point to it and say, look, look at what I can do. And I'm the only one who knows how to do it. And they're like, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, I don't know who else would do this. Like, we don't know how you're doing it. And please do more of that. You Sometimes you, I wonder if it's possible for there to be such a thing as like an actor director. Like if you're acting in a mm-hmm. movie and you're also directing the movie. First of all, as as rough as I say the ride was, I did it. 
and we pulled it off and pulled it off for seven years, five seasons, 125 episodes. So it wasn't mm -hmm. undoable, um, but it definitely had a like, I mean, I was just surfing along that like one false move and it was like I was going to just tumble in the rocks like I don't surf. I don't know where I'm getting this analogy from, but like I was <laughs> it. So it wasn't not possible, um, but I do wonder if there are ways in which the show could have been maintained. I don't know. This is all sort of like pipe dream thinking because then it wouldn't be the same show. But had I had like your Mythbusters pal, I had pitched Derek Hughes, who's another magician who's been on the show a bunch of mm -hmm. times before, too. Um, he's the guy who with the armor. You remember Derek Hughes, right? And he mm -hmm. turned yeah, into yeah. the old man when the cursed armor went on him. Um, I pitched in the beginning, like, can I have Derek, like, in between scenes, the two of us jamming together, like, almost Mythbuster style, how we're going to go in there and fool this person today. And they were like, no, 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 we just want it to be, like, very, like, clean, very get right into the story, which ultimately was great. And it worked. And it certain. so I don't know if it would have worked the other way, but the other way would have taken a little... Yeah, it would have given me some help, you know, in that. Right. To, to, it would have taken some of that pressure off, which may have made it possible to do more of it, but it wouldn't have been the same thing. So it's it's hard to really say what's whether or not it was. To, you have to, when a show is successful, like the show was, it's hard to say that anything could have been different because this is what cocktail mm -hmm. of things worked. Right. Now... Today, you're doing live shows. Are you trying to take another TV show out there? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have since the show ended, I've gone out with five different TV shows. Wow. Stuff. Yeah. Now, you're it's a... rough ride out there, kids. <laughs> you're, a, you're a highly successful magician with a past successful television show, and it's, it's still hard to get, to get a show off the ground? Yes. Alarmingly so. <laughs> but I guess that's just what, you know, it's the same business it always was when I started. It's just a really tough business. There's a lot of factors that change how things work. We're seeing a lot more of like the mothership really calling the shots, you know, in, 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 as the world turns to streamers and things are being much more controlled by a conglomerate. Mm -hmm. It's like you don't have that person who can say, you know what, I run this department. I think we're going to take a shot with this. I trust you. You did that. We're going to have you give that a shot. It's crazy, but we want to do it. I'll have those people and they'll be like, we really want to do this, but they're just not letting us do that thing right now. Mm -hmm. and you're like, ah, so you would think, and, and then you get this weird thing where they're like, wow, you came up with something that had never been done before and you did it like better than anyone. Wow. That's amazing. What else do you want to do? And then you like pitch this other thing and they're like, oh, but that's, no one's ever done that. And you're like, Right. Isn't that what you just said is why you liked the other one I did? <laughs> so the, it's a little bit weird. Um, but I, I, um, I return back to, you know, someone's, it feels a lot like you're like just hoping that someone's going to buy it or move or move, move it to the next step forward. Mm -hmm. And I go back to like thinking about with, with, you know, when I had the opportunity to do a hidden camera magic show that I knew wasn't going to be it, like, and I waited, it was like, you know, not until it's like, I, I'm holding on to what I know is the thing. So when it's, mm -hmm. I'll do it if it's going to be the thing. So I've got, you know, a, 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 a little arsenal of things 
that we've been out there with. And some of them still have, like they're still up there and we're still, we've got some people on our side trying to, to work them across the line. But um, mm-hmm. it's, especially now that I have done something uh, that was successful and I realized how hard it was to pull off, I have to believe in the thing that I'm doing. So like yeah. I'll get a lot of people who come back and be like, well, why don't you just do this thing? And I'm like, oh, I know what you're trying to do with that thing. And uh, and it's like, I don't have the heart for that. So I'm like, no, like I want to do this thing. And like, that thing's crazy. I'm like, I know. Mm-hmm. We'll see. So I'm still out there. What, what, uh, and you can give this the response of I'm an actor or I have a TV show or something. But what keeps you from making TikTok videos? Oh yeah, because there's a lot of TikTok magician people. What 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 prevents you from like taking control of the whole thing and then just doing doing your own thing? Yeah, because um, when you're on a television show, there it's almost like there's a lot, like there's a lot more cooks in the kitchen. Fair, yeah. A lot of it is, yeah. And one of the reasons I have a roadblock on a current project is is it's just a big budget project. Mm-hmm. So, you know, unless I want to deplete every bit of money that I have trying to pull out, you know, pull off 20 minutes of what really needs to be multiple episodes, (laughs) that Mm -hmm. gets hard. Um, Yeah, I never, you know, I I thought about doing more like pranking on TikTok, but even that, like I I couldn't afford to self-produce even segments like we did on the Carbonaro effect, the same right, way sure. that we were able to pull them yeah. off. And I think that, you know, knowing that that's the quality of what it is, I think it has to be that. So there's that. Plus I'm kind of like looking for, so I'm not trying to just repeat those things either. Um, but it was, I mean, the same way, I guess you could say, like as an actor would be like, who wants to be in a sitcom? Like, why don't you just make your little sitcom on TikTok? I mean, I guess you could, but that's very true. I'm also, uh, analog. I'm pretty analog of a guy. Uh, I do. I really have a, uh, I have a rough time with social media. I I am kind of in it because I, you have to be there. You have to have a presence, but Mm -hmm. I am telling you like, I, daily want to just just not (laughs) just throw the phone out the window and be like please i can't i don't want to be right you know i I, i'm not so sure i love the way we all have gotten connected technologically wise especially having lived through it you know i graduated college in 1998 um i was born in 1976 so I really lived through a time when people weren't mass addicted to it and, uh, you know, including myself, but it hurts like just, just turning every, you know, turning my head and seeing everybody glued into it all the time. Right. And that being the sum of what's going on in the world right now all the time and what people are like aiming to do and make. It's a little bit like, you know, I'll go on something and then there's someone who's like a coffee barista who's doing like sketch sketches. Okay, cool. But it was like, oh, and then there's a house painter who's making TikTok videos of their work. And, and you're like, oh, everybody has to make like short form comedy and segments of what they do. It's like we're all making 
entertainment videos, it's a little peculiar to me. I don't know. It like becomes a little bit unspecial and overwhelming. So, and maybe that's just something I need to like figure out my own balance with it, but it, it really does hurt when I'm on an airplane and everyone's watching a screen or holding a screen it, it, I give a deep sigh inside, like while my guitar gently weeps, I just, it hurts. So the th- there's that. The that thing that, that gets to me the most about that is when I see like a parent sitting with their child and the parent is on the phone. Sure. Because it's like the, the most important thing to you in that moment should probably be your, your child. Um, yeah. And there's like a, there's a, there's a, dig- a digital wall between you and your kid. So, and then like you kind of see it, like it, it just kind of trickles down and then you, you have iPad kids, kids. That yeah. The thing the that I have a bit of, and maybe it's nostalgia and maybe it's just me being like a grumpy old man to a degree too, but like there isn't really a choice to, to be outside of it. Mm-hmm. I mean, sure you could, but the way this the way society functions is really it's become a a mandatory uh tool or um you know a like oh a really cool thing that you kind of now have to have to have Mm -hmm. the phone yeah yeah it's very depressing (laughs) it is really depressing it is And, you know, I see, I follow some really great people who make me laugh and do some really fun videos. And it, it mm-hmm. it's just a little bit of a, it's a constant back and forth because I watch it, you know, when you see people in the death scroll, just, you know, and yeah. it's like almost when someone's in the room and they're in the death scroll, I can almost feel the like stopping of breathing. Like, you know, when you're like, you're in a room with someone who's like on, you can almost sense you're like, they're on their phone over there. I can tell because like life has completely stopped. It's like a vacuous, breathless <laughs> it's, death. It's sucking, it's sucking their energy away. Yeah. And then you can feel when they put it down and start moving around. It's like, ugh, it's just, it is a little scary, especially having lived through a world where, you know, I didn't have the internet when I did mm-hmm. my term papers in college. It was available like in a computer lab downstairs or something. I don't know. I didn't use it like, so yeah. How, how do you think with, cause I think a lot of people, they watch television now and it's a two screen process where like they, what they have the TV on and they have the, the phone in their hand. Yeah. It's, and I think it's, how, how, how do you think you command their attention enough to get them to focus on the television? It's interesting. This is, this is another reason why, you know, I have one friend who is like, why don't you, when you do your live show, let people just video and take pictures. There'll be like free advertising for you. They get excited. They post it. And it's true. But allowing that and then having everyone double screening and filming and not being present while they're watching you is everything. Is it, It's not anywhere near what I've ever wanted to do. Like, I don't, mm-hmm. if that's that, then I'm out. Like, I'm not doing that. Like, ugh, no, God, no. Like the whole yeah. point of being in live entertainment is that we're here together experiencing this moment. So yeah, um, no, the double screen thing I think is really sad and brutal. And uh, I, I, I don't know what the answer is. I hope that people like within their relationships and maybe their families and their own world can you know have a time for when that's not like if i'm, if I'm gonna like watch if you're gonna like watch a movie with your 
family, it's you guys should watch the movie together and not double screen it. I don't know, but then our industry is like, don't forget to take along while we flap that. <laughs> I don't know. You gotta like, like, it. like and share it and put it on, put it well, on Twitter. I know, I know. I, I know. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I fought with them on that when we were doing Carbonaro Effect, too. They wanted to. Well, even just in how we wanted to make the bits play out, they were constantly mm-hmm. trying to cut out time. Which obviously we cut out time. We cut out time all the you have to. You have to cut out a mm-hmm. degree of time. But something happens when you start, especially on a show that like the Carbonaro effect, where there's this, you know, we are documenting a, a moment of reality. And even though the bit might have gone on 15 minutes and we need to get it down to six minutes, you start cutting away too much of that time and you stop. You, this is why people will call it out as being fake. They're like, something's the way that person reacted is not mm-hmm. real. They're an actor. You're like, no, it's not that they're an actor. It's just you didn't get to see the 30 seconds of them considering and then maybe leaving and then going, well, maybe, and then going. Like, so now it's just that, that I say the thing and then they start walking and you're like, that's not what someone would do. So you have to be like really careful with that. M- more so in a show like Carbonaro Effect where it's hidden mm-hmm. camera to like you just start cutting away some of that setup. We used to joke all the time that it was like, they, d- they don't want the hook, the line, they just want the sinker. It's just like sinker, 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 sinker. And it was like, whoa, guys, like we, we have to know that the hat is empty. Otherwise, when the rabbit comes out, it's not a trick. Like, Jesus. It's certainly gotten harder to do Hidden Camera since Alan Fund created it with Candid Camera. Mm-hmm. You know, right back then, it was like, you're on TV, there's a camera right over there, you're on TV. People are like, I'm on the... I'm on the television, like right me. me? Now it's like, what? Yeah. Who gave you the right to film me? I don't think so. Like, it's, you know, and and uh, I still maybe one of the things that I look back on as as something that I don't even understand the mystery myself is that a lot of times we would take people through quite a horrific experience, you know, right. voodoo, yeah. ghosts weird science like some things that were really terrifying viscerally terrifying Mm -hmm. that i still don't know like people like i don't know how we got them to be cool with it at the end (laughs) i mean right i think it's i really like people and i like i never was out to just mess with someone for by for any like machiavellian reason it was really like Mm -hmm. Ooh, could I get them to believe it like I would believe it? And isn't that so exciting? And like maybe that was that energy is you can just feel that in the room. We would have to take most people through. A lot of people were like, "Well, why didn't you show everybody you get it reveal?" And I was like, "Well, because it wasn't always the best. It finally was okay because whoever saw, you know, whoever you saw, obviously signed mm-hmm. was on the show. But a lot of people's first reaction was like, "Oh my God, I've been made a fool of." I'm, no, 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 no. I don't want to be on. No, come on. Wait, when did that happen? Who? What? what? You know. And then you'd be like, "No, no. Like, take a look at a clip of the show. Here's what I was doing. I'm a magician. We, you know, this is my team. We'd be like, work really hard to pull off this illusion. And it wasn't that you were a fool. It was like, didn't that really look like? It's like, yeah, it did really look like that. I'm like, well, yeah, exactly. And then then they kind of get on board and they'll do it, sign it. Yeah. That that was. I think one of the challenges is like if you did have something that was really good and then the person did not want to sign, you know, it was yeah, like, like it could almost kill the whole bit. Like 
if that was the best one. Yeah, I'm trying to remember any super devastating ones. There, I think there was like a dude. We we I think we paid the guy in. Uh, well, we would offer him money. We'd be like, "How about?" And they'd be like, "All right." Mm-hmm. It was the guy with the invisible the uh, chameleon fish, which okay. was like the invisible fish. It was just a, a fish tank in a pet shop with just like a stick in the tank. And I'm like, it's chameleon fish. And when I picked it up with the net, then you saw it. And then when I put it in the other bowl, you didn't see it. it was like disappearing and reappearing. Um, we we oh, that was a big deep. Were you there for that day? That was the day so. when. Okay, this is. Oh, maybe this was first point one. You know, uh, mm-hmm. season like front one order. front order. Yeah. We shot. This chameleon fish bit, which was really cool. We shot it all morning and we were like just swimming in amazing reactions. Like, yes, 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 yes. We break for lunch and we're like, uh oh. They pulled the chip out of the camera and like the Mark's camera did not record, which is the one thing you can't ever, you know, like you could, you could always shoot me doing a trick. And then use them like if if we had to. The Mark's reaction camera didn't record all morning up until lunch. And first it was like <sighs> annoying and terrifying, but there was this weird thing where it was like, yeah, but don't worry, we'll go. We everyone was loving that trick. We were just getting reaction after reaction. We're like we'll just we'll have to just do it again. It wasn't working after lunch. Like no one was like giving good reactions to the trick. And we like had to move on. And I was like, no, but that. So now it became really devastating. And then the one guy that you do see on the TV show doing the chameleon fish trick, he, we got through it and he was great. And then he didn't want to sign. And it was like, dude, you have to understand what happened to us today. Please. Like this morning we did it and then it lost it. And then no one else would react and react. It's like, I just, I don't know. I don't really want my friends and family to see me on TV and that. So I think uh, someone, you know, convinced him a couple bucks, threw him a couple bucks in the parking lot. And uh, he said, yeah, so. You're talking to Michael Carbonaro from the Puppification Machine. He's 14 years old. Uh, he's got all these aspirations of uh, what he wants to do. What would you tell that Michael Carbonaro? Trust your gut and do what makes you happy and take advice, but not if it goes against what you know is what you really need to do to be happy. I love that. 